Welcome back to the film experience. Uh, the long lost SmackDown is back um, for our final season in this iteration, uh, since we're almost done with years. Um, today, we're going to be talking about 1997. Excited to welcome back guests who've all done the podcast before. Uh, we have Louis Fertel. Hello, and thank God I'm here. The only place I truly belong. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle. Everywhere else in life, I've been on the, on the fence about. Here, though, yeah. <laughs> And uh, Kyle Buchanan. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be back on the SmackDown. And for a year that was pretty major as far as the movies, the performances, and to my own personal development. But we'll get into that. Yeah. Oh. We, well, I'm sure we'll have lots of personal anecdotes from this year. And finally, uh, Chelsea Eichholz. Chelsea, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. I am so sorry for what I'm about to launch on this. <laughs> like my wow. childhood and how I got into the Oscars, it's all coming now. Get ready. Okay. Was it, well, we'll, still, we'll start there. Was this your first Oscar ceremony that you watched? For sure, because I'm a little young. I'm a fresh 31. And I feel like, who takes a child to see Titanic? My parents, of course. So <laughs> then I'm like, I want to see all these other ones too i want to see all these movies look to be fair everyone on planet earth was like forced to see titanic there was just <laughs> we were forced. the sheer tonnage of like cultural weight forcing you into the theater i think i saw it like six months into its run at the theater just because we were begging our parents to take us when it was, it was still like number one at the box office exactly it still had like 12 more years at the box yeah. office. <laughs> like I said, titanic is the only movie my grandpa ever took me and my brothers to see in theaters and i come from very um like uh, kind of silent grim people of the plains and so when there was nudity in this movie the chill that ran through him and us like i knew it was bad i knew i wasn't supposed to be here <laughs> and he had not predicted this moment so there was we's never recovered you know we're like we're Catholics, you know, we're, we're not somebody who are going to address the situation right away. So uh, we that that chill has sustained me for now 25 years. What was the last sort of four quadrant movie that had a significant nude scene? Was Titanic the last one? I yeah, think so. it, it does feel blue rare that that would happen in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like I remember lots of nudity from 80s movies. For know? sure. I think in, in movies that you don't always here. expect it in. Right. And and people went to see all of those. But um, it, after the 80s, it was just one of the very first images you see is the drawing of her yeah. naked that sh that's showing hilariously on a television news report when you first meet Gloria. Right. <laughs> that is incredibly unusual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, seeing Chris Hemsworth's ass in the new Thor is about as close as you get these days. And yeah. it's just Ooh, one little discreet, true. faraway shot. It's and not... like there's kind of a curve of a butt in the distance. Yeah. And it's and it's used for comic purposes. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You, you and that drawing of Kate Winslet done by James Cameron himself, no less. Which I have questions. Well, about. yeah. James, what were you doing? <laughs> yeah. What was that work session like? Exactly. <laughs> well, I have questions about like uh, Gloria Stewart seeing her herself as a young woman nude, and she's like, "Well, I'll be goddamned," and I'm like. That I felt that because <laughs> if you ever notice, every time you look at a picture of yourself from previously when you thought you didn't look good, you're like, oh, I look really good. Because like the older you get, <laughs> the more you're like, oh. To be honest, I hear people say that and I do not agree. Every no. time I look at <laughs> pictures of myself as a young person, I'm like, wow, real hopeless fashion, <laughs> styling choices, 
didn't had not come into his own, did not have the confidence he now possesses. So oh, no, I, yeah, I had an entire YouTube show where it's just like, oh, I wonder if he'll ever find a real barber. Wow, like that's, <laughs> a, that's the suspense of the whole series. But I'm just saying, like, could you imagine that you're 100 years old and you see yourself at you know peak young beauty? And we're that not getting a- into the actress yet, but she was really feeling herself, like in that yeah. scene. Oh my god! No, she's like, wasn't I a dish? And that yeah. I felt absolutely. Remind yeah. everyone that you were hot once. I, I, you know, I plan to grab onto whatever sliver I decide was my like hotness phase and never let anyone forget when we're all, you know, wandering the wasteland in mm, 10 years. Uh, I will pull out my phone. Yeah. So I'm sure we all have a story about going to see Titanic and we started there. I will just add that my, I went with my entire family and I think it's the last movie that I saw with my entire family because I was like visiting on a Christmas break and my dad who doesn't like movies, doesn't like showbiz or whatever. He was like, fine, you know, I'll go. And he loved it. So it was, it was truly a all quadrants. All quadrants. And I saw that multiple times. Everyone did. It was kind of like yeah, normalized. Like, what are you doing today? Going back, seeing Titanic for like yeah. the fourth time. And this wasn't just, you know, uh, young people who over-index and right. in, in doing that sort of thing was everyone. You just like went and saw the huge, you know, pop culture sensation over and over. Well, and that being the same year as the the In and Out, where the whole <laughs> where the whole plot turns on the Oscar ceremony was really funny to see back to back when I was rewatching because I was like, oh yes, when the uh, when everyone watched the Oscars, the Oscar parties in In and Out out alone i'm like this is like a time capsule and i wish it wasn't right <laughs> that just felt like a moment of captured history in, in and out and yeah. i really need that we need to bring that culture back everywhere yes also they, it feels like they bring out literally like miniature golf pencils like it's so quaint and old-timey they're like <laughs> get out your scorecards like there's like lots of like broad like gestures to oh i'm gonna win or whatever <laughs> Yeah, but there are incredible like fake best actor titles. I, I had totally Oscar forgotten that. Album. It was so funny. Codger, yes, <laughs> <laughs> and Coops was one of yeah. the other movies. <laughs> <laughs> Although the idea that an Oscar ceremony would happen on a Thursday, it's just one of those things you have to, you know, go. With. I had to shut off the film. I shut off the film. <laughs> <laughs> or the fact that they show like the entire movie of the winning actor Truly. complete to the end. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, nowadays they would pull bullshit like that. So I wouldn't put anything past uh, a current Oscar ceremony. For best performance by an actress in a supporting role, the nominees are Kim Basinger in L.A. Confidential, Joan Cusack in In and Out, Minnie Driver in Goodwill Hunting, Julianne Moore in Boogie Nights, and Gloria Stewart in Titanic. This Oscar ceremony, this was my freshman year of college. I went to USC Film School. And me and all my friends, uh, because they were having the Oscar ceremony at the Shrine Auditorium right next to USC, we literally slept on the sidewalk uh, the night before to get into the risers that they have uh, on the Oscar red carpet. So we sat there in the risers, you know, uh, sleep deprived, grimy, uh, cheering as all of these stars walked in. Wow. Did you get to like wave at whomever, Billy Zane? Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, Billy Zane. Like, I was like screaming from the risers as soon as I saw his chrome dome. 
Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So it was like a fascinating example of seeing the, um, you know, the sausage get made. Well, okay. So let's talk in and out. Um, so I was nervous to rewatch this because I thought, you know, gay comedy from 97, it's 25 years ago. It's going to be super dated. And it was, but I found it kind of dated in a charming way. I, my favorite line is when, uh, they're hounding, the press is hounding him after he, after the, uh, uh Matt Dillon character has called him, uh, gay on television and says to him, should gays be allowed to hold fresh produce? <laughs> <laughs> I actually was surprised in how current it felt. The only really strongly dated aspect of it is just like the Capra-esque feeling, which, you know, obviously was a really specific tonal choice even then. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't see a lot of movies leaning into that Capra vibe anymore. Um, But honestly, (laughs) right now when we're having these don't say gay discussions that involve teachers, um, it felt really on the money to be honest with you to to rewatch this i was shocked like i'd watched it a few years ago and i'm like oh this is still pretty fun and then just yesterday i'm like wow this like for 1997 i'm like i'm glad the girlies had that for them because <laughs> this is just so nice and the jokes really do hit pretty well for the most part yeah i did like just l- burst out laughing several times oh yeah me too and my and my best friend, I was watching with my best friend. And he was just like, "Well, okay, so you're laughing really hard, and you're not high because he was totally stoned." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, he was like, "Okay, so I know I know it it has actually aged well, and it's not just me being high." And I was like, "No, it's really funny." No, I think the only thing that is like dated is the reliance on things like Barbara Streisand jokes, which just feels like old stand-up from that time. You know, yeah. like it, when you're watching Comedy Central and there's a gay comic, it's ending on a word like the the punchline is ending on a word like Streisand, for example. So that felt extremely familiar. But at the same time, his journey, like hit like the way he realizes he might actually be gay, that felt real to me. Like I think you could take like a few days of media trauma as like, you know, an upstanding straight man in the 90s and still not consider that you might actually be gay because gay people were not humanized to like whomever, most of America at the time. So you you would reasonably just assume it doesn't happen to anybody in real life, let alone you. Yeah. And they really marketed the movie, uh, especially in the trailer, as this man is mistakenly identified publicly as gay. So the latter half of the movie where he's discovering that is a real surprise you know, and rad. in the movie yeah. and to the audience. Oh, see, I don't remember. I didn't remember that part. Oh, yeah, for no, sure. Yeah. I didn't see the movie until within the past 10 years or something. And I s- never knew that he actually came out as gay. Never. I only remember the oh. commercials from it. And, you know, physical comedy. Joan Cusack, of course, was the, the nominee from this. And her physical comedy is so perfect in this movie. And I think she did, never got the credit for sort of inventing falling down in your wedding dress on a street, which Maya Rudolph perfected later on, of course, but for bridesmaids. But Joan Cusack does it here, and it's so hilarious the way she sinks into the dress and then falls over. It's so every beat is like, it's like one of these comedy things that you know they planned everything, but it feels just so organic from like the character choices. It's just so funny. I, I would call Joan Cusack the Yale of Drew Barrymore's, you know, just like utterly <laughs> dependable when it comes to delivering kookiness and bubbliness. And I said this in my little blurb. Are we allowed to reference our blurbs? Yes, I'm going to do yes. um, where she really is like the, the second coming of Madeline Kahn in a few ways. Just the the comic exasperation, the the slack jawed like awe at whatever is occurring in the movie and like 
nobody is really on her side ultimately, and she has to sort of speak for herself in a in a harumph. Uh, uh, never a false note. I mean, exactly the right person to play this role. And of course, in Adam's Family Values, she also um, spat uh, Paul Rudnick dialogue with equal aplomb. I would I say found would... A, a Paul Rudnick interview about her, and he said. She just has such an arsenal of comic technique and raw emotion. She is total audience identification. The audience mm. feels a total possession about Joan Cusack, which is true. Yeah. I, I mean, I think she's even better in Adam's Family Values. Like, if I ran the Me world, too. I, I would have an Oscar for that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, fully. In my, like, heart of hearts delusional fantasy, she has three Oscars, and one of them is for Adam's Family Values. That's like... Well, listen, it, it's... But she always- is one of those actresses where you do look back and you're like, okay, well, you know, honestly, the Academy got some of these Joan Cusack performances in their time. You know, this is not always true of comic actresses. Yeah. And yeah, I love that both of her nominations are actually for comedy and not, mm-hmm. not doing like against turn, which is way more common for comic actors to get nominated for. And there isn't that many, that many famous actors, except for people who are, are prestige actors who get nominated for things that are emblematic of exactly what they do. And my, my favorite example of this and also involved in 97 and was clearly in the sixth spot was Sigourney Weaver um, because she didn't get nominated for the ice firm, even though she won the BAFTA for it. Um, And, but her Oscar record to me is always fascinating because it's the only Oscar record I can think of where they got, one nomination for each thing she does spectacularly of three things that she does often, like action, drama, and comedy. Like, it totally representative of her, of her career, which is so rare for Oscar nomination history. Yeah, true. Oh, I'm, I mean, it's like how many people are nominated for action, period. You're right. right That's right. still an utter yeah. anomaly. So true. this Oscar year, though, makes you forget that the movies like The Ice Storm exist because looking at all the Best Picture nominees and even these performances, which are fun additions to their movie but i with the exception of kim basinger not super uh detrimental to the plot it sort of made you feel like women didn't participate in movies this year you know <laughs> like they're all like male fronted movies i got some thoughts for the other ones when we get to them because yeah, huh, women were not important this year there's a real syndrome of only girl in the movie happening yeah. mm-hmm. in 97 uh, i call it uh toas t-o-w-a-s-c there's one woman and she's concerned yes uh, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Yeah. I do love that at in and out I'm like, well, I would also maybe just toss in Debbie Reynolds, too, because just her line delivery, I'm a lesbian, like, yeah. I had to pause because I was cackling way too hard, and then just even little things like Alexander Holden and Lauren Ambrose, I'm like, this is a time when I knew people were thriving, these are the faces I want to see in my movies again, The it was great, just to, the whole thing. Chelsea, I love that you pronounce this movie's title like it's the fast food chain. It is. <laughs> In and out. <laughs> also, there's something about Debbie Reynolds. You know she's said the word lesbian before. I can't say that about many venerable actresses. You know, the way it comes out of her mouth, it's familiar, you know? Yeah, and Wilford Brimley being her husband will never not crack me up because he, of course, never aged. He was always that age in every movie for decades. Right. Also, incredibly savvy pop cultural casting to cast people like Wilford Brimley and Debbie Reynolds as the parents and Tom Selleck as, you know, the sort of love interest, like to play with their images in that way, especially when you know that you're making something sort of Capra-esque is brilliant. I really love a movie that understands a star's 
pop cultural persona and uses that to its advantage. Uh, also, this is one of the few movies I can think of where casting a straight actor as the gay lead has an advantage because you don't predict that they will actually come out. Mm-hmm. So and there's no, yeah. you know. And it's good hearted enough that even like sort of the physical comedy about his limp wrist totally plays. Like when, <laughs> when, when <laughs> during the Oscar acceptance speech when he is outed, and like the only physical reaction he makes is that his hand <laughs> drops, <laughs> but it reads as like a surprise rather than like a gay wrist. It's just very funny. Uh, I will say about uh, John Cusack in this movie, though, it's also just a nomination where you want two more scenes. Like it's hard to say it's like a, a master performance or like that you, to even vote for it really when it's just volume of material is missing. And that's the case for a couple other people in this category this year, too. Lewis, absolutely. This is what I say in my blurb that like this performance and the arc of the performance is so great that it is jarring that she basically disappears in the third act to like cede her space in the movie to Matt Dillon. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I know they're bringing back, you know, the guy from the first act to sort of wrap this up, but she doesn't get any scene with Kevin Klein after their big outburst. It feels like there's a beat missing. Right. Uh, One of my favorite wins of all time. You can almost see her in the background here uh, next to Sandy Dennis is Lee Grant on my wall. And in shampoo, she has her moment where she like flips off, you know, whoever she flips off and just leaves the movie. It's like I would be more comfortable with with this win if the movie didn't simply forget about her. It's hard to vote for somebody where the movie is like just wishing her away, basically. Yeah. And the thing that doesn't make sense about that within the context of in and out is that it's, it's like right there. The material, the the story and the context and the arcs are right there for her to have one more scene. Mm-hmm. It really feels like her that, movie is starting yeah. at the end of the movie, and I yeah. do I do want that entire movie of like her going on like totally hooking up with Matt Dillon after this. I want to know a couple more of that, but I, every little thing is pitch perfect brilliance. I love seeing Jay Smith Cameron and her and all of their scenes together, and just her worry and anxiety throughout this whole thing. It's just so well modulated. You know, this is the first time that I rewatched this movie since I saw it in theaters with my family when I was closeted. And it was kind of astonishing to me. I don't know that I repressed this movie necessarily, but that like, it's so effective and smoothly made that I think it kind of like almost bounced off me. I don't remember feeling any reaction to like, I feel seen, understood, or like this is hitting me in a place that I live, you know? Um, I mean, this is not to take anything away from the movie. I was just trying to like get into my teenage head and be like, why didn't this quite go over in the same way that like when I watched Philadelphia with my family, I was like, hmm, you know, like, (laughs) um, I I mean, even, even just, even just looking at the movies, uh, from this year that are nominated, I felt more of a gay charge from the moment in LA Confidential where Kim Basinger says to Guy Pierce, you know, fucking me and fucking Bud aren't the same thing. And I was like, hot. <laughs> That's hot. That yeah. He, he does want to fuck Russell Crowe. That makes sense. It's hot. Um, the kiss between Kevin Klein and Tom Selleck, I would say that's maybe the only kind of false note because it is played for a laugh, the MTV Movie Awards of it all. I would say where two yeah. guys are kissing, it's supposed to be funny. And I think if it was slightly more earnest than that, maybe it would hit harder for people. 
But to be fair, that 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 moment is like Mm -hmm. uh, like a masterfully done farcical moment, and they Mm -hmm. don't cut shy away. It's not brief. Part of the fun is that it keeps going. You know. Yeah. Yeah. The the leg around his body is like so so classic physical comedy, and I mean it seems like corny, like because it's so big, Mm -hmm. but it works for the tone of the movie. Mm -hmm. We just needed more kissing, I guess. Right. Yeah. Tom Selleck looks good in this movie. He yeah, looks without he the does. Mustache. I kind of forgot yeah, about without the mustache. Tom I'm like, Selleck. this is a gay man. So I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Usually you need the mustache to, to register on that scale for me. But yeah. Um, before we move on from In and Out, um, I just want to know when was the first time any of you remember seeing her on screen? You're talking about Joan Cusack? Yeah. Adam's um, Family Value. Definitely Adam's that for Family. me. Yes. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Definitely that VHS like played on a loop in my household because mine was the girl with the neck brace and 16 candles of course that's the first time i read this that's the first time i like a registered you know Mm -hmm. i didn't learn her name but that's the first time i was like she's funny you know Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course she had this glorious career afterwards uh my friend uh, lives in chicago and uh walks dogs and routinely will walk past the store she has which is called judy maxwell do you know who (laughs) judy maxwell is Oh, isn't that like named after a Barbara character? It is. It's yes. Barbara Streisand's character in What's Up, Doc. Wow. And yes. uh, she wow. has like a little, it's like a little like tchotchke store. And yeah. Joan Cusack literally lives in Chicago, works there, like like spending her time there, and will just greet people who walk by. Like she's a tourist attraction in Chicago for real. This does bring up a great question the film asks. What did Barbara do to you? That should be studied with queer people because <laughs> there's something there. Yeah, yeah well, but like, I love Joan. I wish we saw her more, but I've heard that she really doesn't want to work unless it's in Chicago. Right. She loves it there. for yeah. her. It explains yeah. why I watched a really bad movie with my niece that had her and she was like driving a snowplow. And I'm like, she doesn't even have a name in this movie. Why is she here? <laughs> why are we wasting her? She yeah she does pop up in the weirdest things from time to time like she's she was in Welcome to Me that uh, Kristen Wiig movie a few oh, years yeah. back which had its interesting moments I like dramatic Kristen Wiig I do too yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean but we were talking about this I don't remember in which context we were talking about this while we were rewatching these that it's interesting which actors like just keep working till they die and then other ones just disappear and you can tell that a lot of times it is a choice. I mean, sometimes it's the industry, like casting people out, like, oh, we're bored of you or whatever, because it's a tough industry. But sometimes it's just them, like, I don't, I don't want to work. I don't want to do this anymore type of thing. Honestly, she can relatable. <laughs> like, I get it. <laughs> you know, even if there are people, like, I'm excited Cameron Diaz is coming back, although the specific movie she's in, I'm like, I guess, well, at least we'll see you again. But you know, people like Rick Moranis or or whoever (laughs) who are like, no, I'm I'm good. You know, I respect that now in a way that uh, I probably didn't used to. Yeah. Yeah, I used to really resent it. I'm like, how dare you take yourself away from me? Yeah, especially (laughs) when um, these actors are bringing something so specific, you know, Mm -hmm. to the table, which honestly, all the people we've mentioned really do. There aren't uh, analogs, there aren't people who can come replace them. They're, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, they're th- themselves, and when they're gone, we miss them because no one can fill that hole. Let's move on to LA Confidential, or should we save Kim till the le- end? What do you? No, guys- no, no. Let's do it. Let's okay. Do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. I just want to state first of all, I think 
people are really harsh on this performance and it's really a good performance. And I, I, I go back and forth because, won. yes, well, here's what I'll say about this performance. It's sometimes hard to tell what she is giving and what we are projecting onto the role because it's supposed to be, she's supposed to be a little unreadable and supposed to be the picture of, you know, 40s glamour and uh, and aloofness. Like she, she's a little bit like somebody who gives you a cryptic clue as you enter your escape room. You know, like, oh, who knows what's <laughs> happening that, you know. So it's like, she's like swathed in intrigue. But uh, to me, it was hard to tell sometimes if we were getting deliberately kind of coy or solemn line readings or empty line readings. To me, it felt like this performance when they were editing it, were scraping together good takes. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, that's... is it good? I don't know. I gave it one star. I, I don't oh, think it's damn. like an incredible. I think people remember her iconically from the coaster or from the poster. She's the she's the one woman in the movie, which is mm-hmm. always like attractive to voters who like are remembering her. The woman is the iconic thing in a movie, and otherwise, like, I don't know. It just feels like the action of the movie happens at her, and it has little to do with her acting ultimately. I agree, but I think it's doing exactly what the movie wants because honestly, the woman does like this film does not give a shit about women. Like she right, is right. there to be the archetype from the noir, whatever. And I think she's giving them exactly what they want. And I think she won because she was in the smart movie, in quote. Mm-hmm. Well, I do think this is one of those wins that's kind of like Tilda Swinton and Michael Clayton, where it's like, we love this movie, but there just aren't a lot of paths for you for us to give you a win. So mm-hmm. here's Gina this. Davis and the Accidental Taurus. Yeah. Um, um, Angelica Houston, well, Princess Honor, all those things. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, yeah, right. but it is a tricky uh, character to evaluate because of the layers of male fantasy that go into mm-hmm. it. Obviously, you know, Lynn Bracken's whole thing is male fantasy. She is, you know, selling an image of Veronica Lake. So you've got two layers of fantasy there because she's trying to be, you know, uh, an actress and an actress's persona. But the thing that really struck me rewatching it, and I love this movie, I just hadn't seen it in a while, is that even the, like, quote-unquote, real Lynn Bracken, like, you know, her real bedroom and, like, all that, and the real her that only Russell Crowe can see also feels like a male fantasy. So it's it's a tricky thing from like how the character is conceived. She is on the poster. It really is sold on her face, but she is not a point of view character. Uh, the generous read is that's to preserve her mystery and intrigue. And the ungenerous read is because, you know, she's, she's the woman. Well, um, I, would, I, I think it's a, uh... I don't think she's bad in it like Lewis does, but I do think that it's some of why I think she's good in it is just a really smart casting decision. Yeah. Oh, it's because perfect it's, physical casting. Mm-hmm. Perfect. It's, because yeah. not just the way she looks, but like Kim Basinger's like persona. And I, I, you know, I'm a little older than you guys. So like I grew up watching her like when she was a full fledged lead movie star and she always had this kind of, nervous energy for usually movie stars come across as very confident but there's something about her that's a little bit fidgety even when she's doing the, the, this like glamour and so I, th- I think it just works so perfectly for this character because she's always trying to you're right she's not a point of view character but she's always trying to find ways in to the scene or ways into the guy's head or like how not to get hit how not to get hurt <laughs> how not to, how to navigate these men that are really fighting with each other, or as she pointed out in that great line, 
wanting to fuck each other and she's she's the body in between them so i think it's just perfect casting perfect i i i as as brutal as lewis's read uh of her was I see his point, even though I really like this performance, insofar as the thing that I would compare this performance to is January Jones on Mad Men, mm-hmm. where, like, you're not sure if she is a good actress, you know, it, not in that, like, strong, muscular, can probably do anything way. But her in the role, there's something physically right about it. There's something that's right about this star casting. And... Even the way that she speaks her lines, it's not tough. It's feathery. It's sort of tremulous in the way that Nathaniel, you detected, is just sort of part of who Kim Basinger is. But there's intrigue because of that. And, you know, uh, sometimes when we score things in the SmackDown, we're scoring technique and things like that. And sometimes I cast or I score sheerly on stardom, charisma, uh physicality all of those things and you know from that great introduction that she's got where you're like leaning forward to see her in this hood she's bringing something to that movie that it just wouldn't be the same without and i just want to say to that point it's not that she's her choices are bad even it's about the award worthiness like I, we can agree that she belongs in the movie, but at the same time, is that better than Julianne Moore and Boogie Nights? Like to compare what they provide to the movie that is specific to them in terms of skill, it feels crazy to me to award yeah. her. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. So I wonder if if we might remember this a little differently if she hadn't won it. You know, where oh, we be like, you're good that's, in this, yeah. Kim. You're good. <laughs> I think I think that's exactly right. I think yeah. that's exactly right. And I do think it does come down to the material because she's not asked to do a lot. And it feels like a lot of the editing and her moments were supposed to be like waiting for the score, waiting for the camera to move around her. And it's really just looking at her is the sole purpose because I did like watch her Oscar speech and she seems way more alive and interesting like in person than in this role and I'm like yeah I kind of wish that we got a little bit deeper and like Curtis Hansen I mean in her shoes great film about all kinds of women I'm surprised he didn't have that like complexity in this role because she again there's nothing really there for her to do I will say I that I don't hate it, but I'm like, oh, it's it's fine, sure, whatever. I will say that uh, to me, Kim Basinger's like biggest Oscar moment is not her actual win. Mm-hmm. It's when she exoriated the Academy uh, at the podium for not nominating "Do the Right Thing." And you know, they had no idea that was coming. No. And like, she, nobody the way screamed she for talked, that. The way she says it, it feels like she barely had any idea that it was going to come out. And this is why I would never take away her Oscar for anything. Like, <laughs> she said that, and I'm like, good for you. You can keep this. Yeah, I almost think she's a more interesting celebrity. She is. For sure she is. But again, like, I do like when a movie leverages the celebrity. Yeah. Um, and, and, and doesn't pretend like it doesn't exist, you know? Yeah. Because some movies do do that. Like, where it's like, but we know this about them or like, you know, we've watched this person for 12 years. We don't buy them as a high schooler, you know, mm-hmm. like pop culturally they're this and you're ignoring that. You got You got to factor that in sometimes. Yeah. And I think that's one of the smart things. And one of the reasons she won, obviously, is not only is it the only significant female role, but it's also she's the biggest star in the movie. Because right. you know, they famously cast. 
two people who were relatively unknowns to lead the movie, which was very unusual. I less unusual in the nineties than now, but like, it's still like, it's still quite a risk even back then. I also want to say that's another thing that works against her in this movie, I think, is that Russell Crowe in any given scene is three times as good as she is. Like, the the, the number of emotions he's registering in any scene, even if it's just, like, hardened dragnet acting, it's still, like, the best of, her, of dragnet acting, I feel. And she kind of responding to him in, like, maybe even a decibel level that's too low given the intensity he's throwing in, I, it, that, that, that energy feels like a mismatch to me as opposed to, like, a perfectly constructed dynamic. I think part of the reason that I like the scene where Guy Pierce goes to her house is like, cause it's number one, finally a relief to be able to see her through a different character's POV as good as Russell Crowe is like, he's basically the only person through which we experience her. And because it is about male gaze, male fantasy, his POV, that's the only way we get it. So I like that. Like when he goes over to her house, Guy Pierce. It's like, ooh, we're seeing a different side. We're seeing cards that she holds. And also she just like stands the idea of them as a couple. Like she's writing slash fiction. <laughs> just forward thinking even back then. <laughs> she went right to her Zanga and wrote about them. <laughs> <laughs> so since we did it for Joan, do you guys remember the first time you saw Kim on screen? Batman. Ooh. Batman for sure. Probably yeah. Batman. I'm trying to think of what would even be yeah, I, I wasn't watching, like, Miami Blues as a child or anything. So. <laughs> but then also, honestly, probably Entertainment Tonight, because yeah, like, she was like such television. a big celebrity, especially the, like, union with Alec Baldwin, you know? Yes. Yeah. Also, watch her Oscar thing. She's trying to get up and go to the stage, and he's just dragging her back down to the seat and being like, me, me. Dragging oh, her, and I'm like, yes! And, like, <laughs> look at me. Be excited with me. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is very weird to watch. On the other shows, he would always call her my wife. He never used the name Kim. I found that always strange. I, there's so much, like, fiction you could do about couples based on their Oscar wins and se- seating together. There's always so much stuff in there. I remember the the night Julianne, or, or not Julianne, Julia Roberts won her Oscar. <laughs> I remember she was dating Benjamin Bratt. Was that yeah. it? Yeah. Yes. People love it. And, like, when they came in at the beginning on the red carpet, me and my boyfriend at the time were like, oh my God, they just had a fight. And we were like obsessed with this idea that we were like projecting on. We were like, no, we're just projecting. And then they broke up like a week or two later, I think. You were like, oh my God, we were right. <laughs> Fan fiction from the Oscars. I love that. Well, it can be a very fraught experience for a couple. As no, I, I was, there's, there's, there's no, right. There's no, um, you know Alec Baldwin did not think Kim Basinger was winning an Oscar before he did. You know, right. <laughs> I, 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 another, another time I think that's the case is Gina Davis winning uh, and then thanking Jeff Goldblum, and then they were done, like, minutes later. <laughs> and Reese yeah. Witherspoon, I think, too, right? Yeah. Mm. And Ryan Phillippe. Mm. Wow. First okay, let's write a book Oscars. about this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sandy B as well. Good luck. Mm. Wow. Good riddance to that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and his goddamn hamburgers or whatever he made. Yeah. What was his whole thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think especially when they're both actors, though, it's like you don't want it to be a competition. But first, I mean, people are people, though. Human nature. True. Um, yeah, and actors are, you know, even the best ones, utter narcissists. 
Right. So <laughs> being the, the glorified plus one is not easy, you know, and having to do it all season in some of these cases. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, definitely, to, you know, to be at these shows and to, like, watch their dates and how they handle this sort of thing. It's a Chad Lowe bar to clear, and some of them can't do it. <laughs> Lewis. I win. That's my, come on, Bruce Valanche. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I, in Kim Basinger's defense, since I feel like we were hard on her, um, I the first time I saw her was The Natural. I like her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first time yeah. I saw her was The Natural with Robert Redford, mm. that baseball movie. And I remember thinking at the time, I, you know, and I have rewatched the movie for the SmackDown, I think for when we did 84 and I don't I don't think she I think she's way better than Glenn Close in that movie I'm just gonna put it out there so no, sorry, Glenn Close in that movie is just correctly. yeah because Glenn had been nominated twice before that right so yeah. she was just awardable yeah yeah <laughs> it's like we know this name right now yeah mm-hmm. uh, I also just love about Kim Basinger that she if you told me she was six feet tall I would believe you and she's, pretty, <laughs> yeah. she's like five seven really I wow. like an actress really? who projects like really tall energy. Yeah, she seemed eleven four in this movie. Truly, I was gonna say I love that for her. She is towering over these men. <laughs> well, no, I do about... not begrudge this win at all. Kemp, good for you. <laughs> well, Charles, don't you uh, project tall energy too? Yes, I will. <laughs> Many people energy. have thought I was like five eleven, and I'm like <laughs> scratching four <4'11>. eleven. <laughs> Shakira uh, as is, as is Salma right. Hayek. Oh my goodness. Salma Hayek's the same sentence with her. We're, if we're talking about tall energy, then we have to move to Minnie Driver. Very good. So yes. is, is she actually tall? I think she, she is, isn't she? I'm gonna That's a someone, question, is someone sure. Googling it? Siri? <laughs> we had her on my podcast not long ago, uh, and I have to tell you, I didn't detect it one way or the other, and I, fe- I feel I should have been looking out for it in retrospect. <laughs> she is 5'10". Good, Good for, for her. her. Yeah. Stomp on Matt Damon. Yeah, I know, Chelsea, you have many things to say about Goodwill Hunting, but I just want to say by, I was very surprised rewatching it. I had not seen it since 97 because it's not a favorite movie or anything. I hadn't seen it since it had come out. And I was really surprised when we need Driver because I thought, oh, she got nominated because his girlfriend part in a popular movie. But she's actually like bringing a lot of personality to it. And she's so good in this. I have to say, I, I was, I was shocked because you know that when the, when she appears on screen, you're like, oh, this role is nothing. I know exactly what it is. And truly, yeah. it's not much on paper, but it's the way they shot her or whatever. It seems like they left all this stuff in that has way more personality than what was written for her. Yeah. I kept thinking like, and you can speak to this being a comedian, but I kept thinking, is, is she improving this whole thing or like, cause it doesn't seem like the rest of the screenplay. It, 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 well, I mean, it does in the sense that, like, you know, that, like, Ben Affleck and their, like, friend scenes, they're all improving up a storm and, like, you right. know, being Southie boys or whatever. But it's just astonishing because she is bringing so much charisma. She truly says every line like it's just occurring to her in the moment, which obviously is kind of what acting ought to be. But you're rarely so struck by how fresh, how invented, and how improvisatory it feels. They're also just incredibly good at, she's very good at reacting to him. Mm. In fact, like he just basically beams at her in every scene, kind of like a love interest might in a different movie. Like, you know, the the, the thinner concept of her and maybe who she was on the page 
would have just been, you know, there to, you know, beam refracted light at Matt Damon. And he spends almost every scene just like in total awe of how charismatic and delightful she is. Yeah, I mean, I think he's really good in this, but it, my my one criticism of his performance is I, I feel like he's not, I, I totally see that in his performance, but I feel like he could have played into that more, that that Will, not Matt Damon, because I get the vibe that it's Matt responding to Minnie's total charisma and, like, inventiveness. Well, because they dated after this. So. Well, yeah, whereas, like, I want, I want Will to feel sideswiped by someone he can't predict because he feels like he... He's so superior to everyone else. Um, and so I wanted a little bit more of that energy from him, but I totally see your point about he that he is in awe, basically, which does work for the movie. She's just so good, and unlike a lot of other love interests and a lot of other movies, she is constantly suggesting that she has a life outside the frame. You know, yes. like mm-hmm. she's doing things before we see her, she's doing things afterwards, she's like very full-bodied, and in that way, you do kind of root for this relationship. Like, you know that she's got a life whether he's going to be with her or not. Uh, and so what you want is for him to fucking get it together because, you know, she's going to go off to California and she's going to be like, you know, bummed. But she's so radiant and has so much of her own shit going on. She's not hanging on everything that he gives her. Like, yeah, she's just, uh, yeah, I can't say enough good things about this performance again. Like, a lot of times on the SmackDown, I'm just bowled over by charisma. Like, Kate Hudson in Almost Famous, which was one of my uh, SmackDown choices uh, last time I did it. Like, if you can bring stardom, charisma, uh, if, if you if you That's can make better. us just thrilled to watch you, thrilled whenever you enter the scene, like, fuck technique. Like, that is <laughs> something that is in short supply, and not everyone can do it. And she's delivering on a level that, like, young Julie Roberts did, young Sandra Bullock did, you know, I, it might sound like I'm totally overpraising this performance, but I think if you watch it, I'm right on the money here. I yeah, don't think you're overpraising thought. it because we had to like read this screenplay in college and actually break it down and stuff. And this screenplay, if you have like very bad actors reading it is garbage. Like the dialogue is so <laughs> trite. It is terrible. But when you're watching many drivers say these lines and bad jokes, you're like, Oh, she is a star. She is wonderful and radiant in this. But if you just look at the words on the page, and I have, it's just so terrible. Like, I hate this film. I do think it is very stupid male fantasy bullshit. But I think she is wonderful in this and the best part of it. So I love Minnie Driver, and I am so happy she got nominated for having to deal with this and for having to deal with Matt Damon on Oprah. Like, she deserves the world. (laughs) Also, there's just, like, obviously this is a fixture in a lot of movies, but I just can't get around, like, genius out of nowhere comes around and woos, like, all of academia. It just, that does not exist. People do not, like, like, completely blow your mind with their brand new idea that you've never considered in all of your years working in a college or something. I know that's, like, what this movie is about. Um, I do want to say something about this movie I enjoy is that, Robin Williams winning does feel a little bit like justice for Judd Hirsch and ordinary people where not that I needed him (laughs) to win the Oscar, but it's like, 
we didn't give enough to that performance. Like it is crucial to the emotional core of ordinary people. And I, it's, you know, obviously Timothy Hutton's among the most famous category frauds in best supporting yeah. actor, yeah. but it's I, like, I, I have had a stopwatch going, uh, <laughs> like to see how long it would take Lewis to mention ordinary people on this Oscar <laughs> podcast. Right. So. I'll get into Steenburgen and Melvin and Howard in 0.04 <laughs> seconds flat. Don't worry about me. Um, uh, 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 no, but a minor mini driver moment I love in this that's not even part of a greater scene is when she picks up the phone and nobody says anything and she just she just goes freak and hangs up. It's like yes. she's getting back to her life. She's like, it's like, it really feels like she's in the middle of her life. Yeah. And that she gets to use her natural accent that we are just deprived yeah. of so much. I'm like, this is I want to see her in a better movie doing this kind of energy and having this much fun. Yeah. And when you think about how many ways this performance could have gone wrong, it's it's pretty remarkable. I was. Oh very, yeah, it's very not surprised. good, y'all. It's very rough. Well, even just sort of cinematically, like she comes into this movie, and any scene that she's in, Van Sant and the camera are obsessed with her in a way that is really striking because Gus Van Sant is in love with Matt Damon in this movie. Yeah. Like the mm-hmm. camera loves Matt Damon. Like peak blonde '90s hotness. Yeah. Like a very irresistible leading man for Gus Van Sant. So to be in scenes with Minnie Driver and to have him be like, actually, I'm more interested in her, <laughs> you know, in almost all of their big scenes, the camera is on her, not him. When they have their breakup and their fight, you know, he's got his back to the camera. It's totally on her, practically like, you know, a long take of her. Um, and I also do love the moment, which I have shamelessly ripped off in my own dating life where they are, uh, you know, out having coffee and she ends the scene by being like, come here, I have to tell you something. She's like Mm. beckoning him over the table. Like she's going to whisper a secret and she goes in for a kiss. It's just like, (laughs) she is assertive, knows exactly what she wants. She's enjoying herself so immensely. Yeah. Great. Also for, for a, a scene that does culminate with a, a crying scene she the amount of thinking she is doing in that scene like about how like mean he's being and how this has taken such a disastrous turn it's really like a tough ask it's not a normal emotional breakdown scene so i think it even culminates in a way that feels appropriate for an oscar nomination Mm -hmm. but but you know the mystery is how everyone on earth was obsessed with the screenplay that's the great mystery no, well, there was not. the because <laughs> well, it was I written by they, two hot boys who had a narrative. I was like, going to say two hot know, boys that know how to read and write. This well, is also, unthinkable. We all know that if like an actor, if an actor writes a nominated screenplay, yeah. they love it. Like so, yeah. two hot actors writing a nominated screenplay. There was no way that wasn't going to win. I know, oh, but so it seemed like all like of Hollywood. No, bo- bo- yeah, Boogie Nights. It's like. Gang, we're still obsessed with Ben Affleck. Come on. People have been obsessed with him. Yes, I just, even at the time in 97, <laughs> I just did not understand the mania. No. I was like, but Boogie Nights is right there. I was so blown away by Boogie or Nights. Or even the full like, well, Monty, Boogie Nights, doing something different. Boogie Nights, Boogie Nights with the, the like, you know, blue haired people in the Academy was lucky to get nominated for just about anything. Right. Mm-hmm. You right. know, like Boogie Nights we're wasn't nominated for Best men. Picture. So. Yeah. Because what is the genre of Boogie Nights? You know, like LA Confidential is a straight up, okay, we're reviving right. detective noir. We understand that and we're a million years old. Whereas Boogie Nights mm-hmm. is like on scene. Actually, the, the Academy's reaction to Boogie Nights reminds me of 
uh, Burt Reynolds' reaction, uh, Burt Reynolds and uh, Mark Wahlberg's reaction to it in retrospect, where Mark <laughs> Mark Wahlberg said he was sickened by the subject matter and wanted forgiveness for having been in the movie, and Burt Reynolds said he didn't like what the movie was about. It's like they anyway. It, Reynolds in, fired his agent after movie. watching it. Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just wild because they're both really good in that movie. Yeah. yeah, Mark Wahlberg is amazing in Boogie Nights. Yeah. Amazing. Do yeah. I want to say that? No. <laughs> it's okay. I will disagree because I'm like, oh, we see everything he's ever going to do right there. I don't know. I think he's great. I oh, don't think he's God. ever given a performance like that again. No, I, as far as I know, that's the only one. As far as I know. Oh. You will, cannot pay me to find out, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Julianne Moore. Um, yeah, I I became so obsessed with Boogie Nights and with the Amber Waves, it is literally responsible for my entire career, this podcast, everything. Really? Because I started a zine. <laughs> it was like in the late 90s. I started a zine called Film Bitch, which led to the film experience because of my obsession with Julianne. So That's like fair. The, the you know, from first, as the world turns yeah. to now, she's been a star. The very first uh, issue of my zine before I had a website was I did an oil painting of Julianne Moore, like a rush, like a icon with like a cross behind her. Where is it? I still, have, I also, I'll send you a photo. Yeah, you better <laughs> post it. Um, and I so gave wait, one to her. When I met her, I gave one to her as well. Her was it time. like a lightning strike moment watching this? Oh yeah, like I had seen her. I think I'm sure I'd seen her in something because, like, oh, I'd seen her in. It's <laughs> embarrassing. We're back to the first time you saw them question i had seen her in gun gun in betty lou's handbag sure right early 90s which i thought you were going to say body of evidence but no no but it was a star vehicle for penelope ann miller oh i remember 1994 oh yeah i know how that's the first time i saw her and then body of evidence when she you know slaps madonna so those were my first memories of her but then i was just so i was like oh my god she's my favorite actress in 97 all of a sudden i was like wow I just want to say that she would be my pick to win for this, but yeah. watching it back, obviously there are specific things about this character that Julianne Moore never did again. For instance, she never played like an adult film star or something like that, even though, I mean, she, she's played Hollywood types, et cetera. Right. But watching this movie back, it almost feels like I'm going to reference another movie from this year, Mrs. Brown with Judy Dench, where if you get to it late in, in understanding what their whole thing is about, it sort of feels like a list of things you just know about them already. You know, it's like, wow, she can really do a crying jag. Wow. She really is like um, wounded or uh, she really does helplessness really well. You know, so a part of me was like, these are like, this is like the standard Julianne Moore acting pack we're watching uh, uh, in, in a lot of ways, even though the way she energy this character interjects with this movie is so tragic. I almost wondered in certain times if she played it too tragic from the beginning based on where the character goes, but come on acting. I mean, it's the winner. I just think it's the winner. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, even from her first scene, you know, that amazing opening of Boogie Nights where just like, it's like the long tracking shot in your whole club. And then when you get to her, she doesn't really even have like dialogue in her first scene, but like the way, you know, Burt Reynolds is giving the speech to to Mark Wahlberg and she's in frame the whole time. And she just like sort of like rubbing her fingers together, like in this really weird way that feels very dirty and salacious. <laughs> so I, I still to this day don't understand. But like her laser focus on Mark Wahlberg is like one of the thirstiest 
shots in film history to me. And it's just like, how is she doing this? Like, it's interesting it because, different... yeah, when in the scene early in the first act where they all go to a diner, uh, uh, you know, her and Burt Reynolds, Mark Wahlberg and Heather Graham, there is a moment cinematically where it, the camera goes from being two shot of, you know, the older and younger people yeah. on, on either side of the table to like, like the camera moves straight over to Moore and straight over to Wahlberg. Uh, now it's one shots on both of them and neither person is talking. I think it's Burt Reynolds who's talking. Yeah. We're just watching Julianne Moore watch Mark Wahlberg. And what's interesting about this, and sorry if this gets long winded, is that this time in particular watching Boogie Nights, I was a lot more struck by like that there is kind of a conventional way that the character is scripted, which is, you know, it's a surrogate mother thing. She is focused on Dirk uh, as kind of the son that she's not allowed to have access to anymore. So it's activating a mother thing. But Julianne is so three-dimensional in it and bringing so much more than just like, you know, whatever 27-year-old Paul Thomas Anderson thought when he was conceiving this character, that when the camera moves to her in that scene, even though it's supposed to be building this, you know, this moment of her looking at him being like, this is my new surrogate son, it's building a moment of like, Julianne Moore is just so good that she is resting the camera's attention just by sitting there, just by looking. And in that look, it is so loaded with things sexual attraction um curiosity uh and yeah the surrogate mother thing uh, but she's so good and so 3d in this role that she really sort of like transcends whatever might have been like the kind of like one-liner about who this character is and what she wants yeah well then that's actually the scene i like a mix up the two scenes that's actually the scene i'm talking about where she just sort of like her hand is doing something, but nothing else is happening. And it, there's something that reads so sexual about it. And But you're right. And it's like, it's like the shock of it because she's thought through everything about this character and not just like the most foregrounded subtext, which is mother, you know. And like everything you just said is why I think we think Mark Wahlberg is amazing in this film because we believe everything Julianne Moore is doing and her love of him and her awe of him and his talent. And I'm, I mean, she was never going to win for this because imagine if the Oscars were actually cool enough to award Boogie Nights anything, you know, <laughs> they're not cool enough for that, but there's not a false note in anything she's doing. And even though I recognize certain facial expressions or movements in other films she's done, it just feels so correct every single time. Like, yeah, Burt Reynolds is talking. We don't care what he is saying right there. We care about what Julianne Moore is looking at and like what her eyebrows are doing in that moment. I, I want to say in terms of uh, Oscar voting, I feel like this suffers from, I'm going to bring up 1975 again, the problem that Rose and Nashville have. Obviously, this movie is compared to Nashville a thousand times yeah. in a thousand ways. Mm -hmm. But it's like it's like each of the characters is more part of a vignette than part of a huge story. This is, so mm -hmm. it's like a hard thing to vote for because you remember key, key moments of theirs, but they really are moments ultimately. You know, it's a Mark Wahlberg story. So it's like, can yeah. you really honestly vote for Lily Tomlin when it's about that one scene, that one look, you know, during the Keith Carradine performance? You know, it's like, it's it's hard to say like that was the best thing of the year when somebody else got 
to do this, this, and this. Okay. Yeah, it's like Kim Basinger, yeah. like it or hate it, she had a character arc, and so did. And Gloria crucial Stewart to the Tyson. plot. Yeah, exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Beginning, middle, end. There. Yeah. I think Julianne is so good in this that even her bad acting is good. Like, it's not wink-wink bad acting. acting. She knows that, like... Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Bad acting Mm -hmm. is sometimes just landing lines in, like, a really samey, monotonous place. I've seen an upcoming movie with a certain person who dabbles in acting, who just (laughs) every line reading (laughs) is, like, landing in the same exact place, and you're like, come on, vary this a little bit. Um, I actually thought, and I'm terrified to say this with Lewis on the podcast, that she's kind of channeling Madonna as an actress who she worked <laughs> with on Body of Evidence. Like, there's something sort of thin and and weirdly um, samey about Amber Waves as a porn actress that reminded me of Madonna and Body of Evidence. Oh, right. No. Well, I mean, uh, working uh, close pro- proximity, maybe yeah. she was inspired by that. <laughs> God, wouldn't that be amazing if that were the case? Because, I mean... <laughs> I never say, I'm sure. You heard it here first, y'all. I, I do think one of the other issues that people had at the time with thinking that... Like, because Julianne was, like, not even remotely ever considered to be in the running for the win, even though she was... She was, she was lucky to get nominated. Yes. Mm-hmm. Happy to and it was, you. like... I, and I think one of the things that happens in auteur movies, because I think people realized even back then, even though they weren't didn't know who he was, that he was, like, an actual director you know, is that everyone is really good when the director is that good. So then it becomes like, wait, is it them or the director? Like, for example, like Heather Graham never has been as good as she was. She is amazing in this movie. Oh, my God. Like that one close up of her in the limo where they're talking about her or, or, or no, she's being filmed for this thing. Like it's kind of like before bait bus, like where they pick people up and have sex in the car or whatever. And, um, that scene i'm like that's transcendent acting so then you're like i've never seen this from heather graham is it her or is it the director you know uh, heather graham oh. i would have nominated her for this i think i, I think i would have too amazing. i thought she was yeah. amazing yeah. yeah kyle seems uh uh dubious about that no i i i love every performance in this movie um it, it's just funny because we're talking about the is it her or is it the director and i feel like we were kind of having that conversation about kim and la mm. confidential too but, you know, sometimes when it just works, it works. And sometimes, yeah, that 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 fragility, that not knowing uh, and that no, not the knowledge that maybe they never equaled that performance or that, you know, moment again, uh, you know, loads a lot into our rewatches. But yeah. man, when she begs Amber Waves to be her mother, I mean, yeah. come on. It's just, it's. That's her Oscar clip right there. Yeah, right. That scene is my favorite scene in Boogie Nights, and I Mm -hmm. love Boogie Nights, so that's saying a lot. Um, It's just, like, Julianne's, like, coke binge and Heather's, like, desperation and juvenile. I mean, everything about that scene is amazing. And and passes the Bechdel test in a very serious way right there, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any time in my life I may or may not have done cocaine, I think (laughs) of that scene in Boogie Nights. I'm like, wow, I'm in Boogie Nights right now. <laughs> <laughs> too many things, too many things. Wow, yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't say enough about Julianne Moore in this movie. It, I still, I'm, I th- it's my favorite performance of the 90s for supporting actress, period. Oh, interesting. So, God, like, yeah. now, you've got me, now you've got me boggled. Okay. Nathaniel, what do you think of Julianne in Magnolia? Oh, I, obsessed also. More so than with Boogie Nights? No, no. 
Boogie Nights is Boogie Nights and, and Safe are like my favorites. I will say of Boogie Nights or Magnolia, I'm a Magnolia person just because I like the film more. And I think what she's doing is so crucial to every like for the film to work. I actually want to compare Magnolia to another movie we've mentioned, which is the, the relationship of Amy Mann's music to Magnolia is so I, I uh, uh, Goodwill Hunting. Elliot Smith's relation music, it, it wants to be, I think, a, an Amy Mann thing where it like says something about the emotional place of these actors. But to me, it feels extremely misplaced. I meant to say oh, that. Yeah. Like, like here, here's a testosterone-fueled movie where men are screaming at each other. And now here comes a mumbly acoustic troubadour to like <laughs> set this. It makes no sense. I feel like it's going for what Amy Mann achieves in Magnolia. But anyway, I meant to say that. I am fully on this train right now. Thank yeah. you. I also think Julianne in this movie you know, obviously this was a sort of career-making performance for her. Uh, but also, I think you can sense Paul Thomas Anderson, like, falling in love with actresses as he watches her in this movie and mm. cuts it together. Like, you can absolutely draw a line from, like, his love of her in this movie to, you know, Leslie Manville in Phantom Thread or even, mm -hmm. like, Harriet Sansom Harris in oh. Licorice Pizza, where it's just, like, you go in there and you give me more than I knew could happen with this character and I'll just be obsessed and like, let the camera rest on you. Yeah. I also do love that. Like her and Burt Reynolds have a pretty good relationship. There's no drama there. Yeah. I love when, I love yeah. when characters get along. <laughs> Give me a movie with no conflict. I love it. Uh, By the end and of I love, film, I, love... I do want director Amber, like her. Stuff. Yes. I, love I want that. Like when she's behind the camera, I'm like, she's never been cooler. <laughs> but but Julianne has great voice work in this movie. Uh, she really changes her voice depending on whoever her scene partner is. And the way that she is so sort of accommodating and honeyed and sweet to Burt Reynolds uh, and just what she's doing with her voice compared to like literally any other character that she speaks to. I love it. Yeah. She's truly the person who was given the most to do and took advantage of it. She had a meal and we are just like Kim Basinger. Here's a cracker. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, Gloria Stewart didn't get a meal. She also got a cracker. She gets to start the movie and end the movie, essentially. I was say, what a technique to get an Oscar nomination where like we keep panning back to you and you've just told a devastating story to everybody on screen, but we don't see you doing it. We just we just assume you nailed it. Yeah. I'm truly convinced if her like slight voiceover like narration over Kate Winslet's acting was not there, she would not have been nominated because most of what we hear from her, it's Kate Winslet acting under it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think she's delivering a good performance. She knows how to give her lines just the right amount of like, emotion that she's somewhat holding back mm -hmm. she has like key moments that she absolutely does land emotionally i mean i you know when she's talking about you know uh like the lifeboat situation i just remember how uh pin drop silent the audience was hanging on every one of her words mm -hmm. so i think she's good in this the issue that i have is that even you know uh as a young person seeing this movie I never, ever thought this is the older Kate Winslet. Yeah, it makes like, no sense. There are performances that exist totally separate from one another. Yeah, yeah. Both good, but there isn't that sort of like cosmic bond between the two that that would have gone the extra mile for me. Or that would work like 
when they're different, but it still works like Lost Daughter with Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the most recent example of that. Yeah. Um, I'm out yeah. on the fence about what, what I think about this movie. Because, uh, pardon me, about her. Because you definitely remember Gloria Stewart. But I feel like the line readings, and it's it, the way you just described it was she's kind of like holding back emotion a little bit. I mean, again, it's been 87 years, so it's possible she can just recite what has happened to her uh, <laughs> during this pivotal moment and be a little bit removed from it. But it sort of feels like we nominated her just because we liked the old lady as opposed to yeah. she delivered something that like felt relevant to the trauma mm-hmm. of the film. Calling her oh. the old lady. What are you, Britney Spears? <laughs> I know. I, I was just going to bring up Britney Spears yeah. because it's like, but, but the movie was such a cultural phenomenon that it's like even referenced in music videos that mentions mm-hmm. Gloria Stewart specifically. So it's I like, do love the little noise that she makes when she drops the necklace into the ocean. But yeah. also, here's the thing. The I don't think I don't think she would have been nominated had they kept the other ending. Like oh, the, for sure. the other on ending YouTube. is a shit show. Wait, yeah, what I'm like, I... oh, she's fat in that. Wait, what was it's the other crazy. Ending? Oh, you don't know about this? Oh my gosh. <gasps> you she... have to go watch this. It's a really long alternate ending where Bill Paxton basically comes out and is like, don't throw that necklace into the ocean and they have oh, a standoff. Wow. And oh, obviously God. How bad. How did I not and... know about this? Wow. It's on YouTube. It haunts yeah. me. But no, I will say, this is a slight tangent. I have to thank Gloria Stewart so much because back in the early 30s, she was supposed to do a Hollywood Bowl performance of Midsummer Night's Dream, dropped out at the last second, and then her understudy was Olivia de Havilland, and it just happened to be the night that film producers were there, and then she was hired for the film role, and boom. So thank you, Uh Gloria Stewart, for not going to work one day. Well, and listen, if people go... If they, if they have ever sought out like the old dark house, which was her big thing from her debut year in the movies in 1932, um, she's that movie's really fun. That James Whale movie. Well, I was oh. thinking of Olivia de Havilland watching this because like, would the movie have benefited from somebody who had a little bit more star oomph in this role? Like, you know, I I, I read an interview where uh, Gloria Stewart was talking about, you know, James Cameron didn't want, or, though he thought of people like Olivia, Catherine Hepburn or whatever, because then he felt like it would have been a little too top heavy. It would have been like their movie and like they would have had a lot more ownership over the character than Kate Winslet, who was still, you know, a relative newcomer. Mm-hmm. But Kate is, I mean, it's such a forceful star turn. So yeah. ambitious. So like I'm fucking here and here for the rest of fucking time. And obviously she's become a major star. So maybe it's one of those things where in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, I mean, you could have had Olivia de Havilland in there and mm-hmm. it would have been perfectly balanced by what Kate is serving. Yeah. No, that's and true. I would like, have thought, I would have thought there was more of a then, connection. So I think it would have been fine at that point. Like Kate was kind of a star with an Oscar nomination, but I know they were looking at Faye Ray and I'm just thinking of like every older actress, but Olivia de Havilland in this film, I feel like we would have been really spoiled. Again, I kind of do think like, that would have been a really savvy instance of like bringing in what we know about them as a star to mm-hmm. work here. I mean, Gloria Stewart, you know, uh, was not a huge success when she uh, worked as an actress. And again, she's like, you know, I, I guess what Cameron wanted is to feel like you're watching like, you know, a real woman and not have any right. special identification with it. But like, this is a movie that is just like gilded to the max. So, 
give us a star here. Like the movie has so much going on. It can absolutely withstand like bringing back like a real star. I was really surprised watching it this time, how long the intro is, which I had forgotten. Like I remembered the, that Gloria Stewart gets the beginning, but like, it's like 11 minutes into the movie before you even meet one of the main characters. Yeah. And I, I do love that, uh, that, you know, she has lived such a full life. I feel like in another kind of movie from a different filmmaker, they would have been like, she had her first and only love on Titanic and then never married again. But James Cameron, who's been married a zillion times, is like, actually, no, she's had a full life. Even after and she got one. married a whole lot of times and she loved it every time. <laughs> like, I thought I thought that was kind of a really interesting way yeah. to present a female character in a movie like this. That yeah. like, yes, this is a love that she's had. But like, she is a, a woman who was propelled to live a full blown life. Yeah, because that's, like, part of what the character is, like, in the beginning, young Kate Winslet. It's like, she doesn't have a life. She's in a prison. So if she's going to live, she's going to live. And now she has to live for two people. Yeah, I mean, James Cameron, you know, whatever, people have issues with him here and there. But one thing, he's always, like, so many of his movies have had really juicy female at the center juicy female roles at the center the giving actresses so much to work with like he's clearly like for whatever his problems as a person are or as a filmmaker he he sees women and not in a way that like a goodwill hunting you know where you like you know that Minnie Driver brought that and not anything else about the movie you know whereas like here it's like can you love up to getting this juicy character in your play and I, I do think on Gloria Stewart I do like the withholding in her performance like in in uh, hindsight, you can tell right at the beginning that she knows what's up with the necklace. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, right. Which you don't get at all the first time you're watching it. I but do like, think you can see that there's a lot more that. behind the eyes than whenever she's actually speaking, because sometimes it does just feel like she's reading right into a microphone for a voiceover. Yeah. But whenever she actually gets to be in the scene and have those quieter moments, like with all of her little things and stuff, I, that's when I think her emotional like moments are really. Yeah. But some, I also some think it's, the, oh, oh, go ahead. I'm going to say some of the way she reads these like introductions into scenes though, like it doesn't make sense for her to think of every aspect on, on the boat as a magical fairy tale. And she'll say things like, but inside I was screaming. And it's like what? Like you like that that character would not be reacting to that that way, I don't think. You know, it's just it's it's supposed to be a little too magical old lady, I think, as opposed to real. But I know that's a, that's like what the script says too. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, oh, they yeah, did a screenplay I mean, Oscar, so definitely, yeah, wasn't even nominated. Uh well, definitely have... the moment where she's like, For some it was a ship of dreams, but for me it was a, a slave ship. I was like, Rose, are you sure? <laughs> Rose, don't go on Twitter. <laughs> Shouldn't be saying that. This film Man. would not survive Twitter. So oh, the, the Picasso on the boat is still so shocking. Something Picasso? Oh my goodness. Just, oh my that's like Night at the Museum shit. That's like, it makes, yeah. that's like something, yeah. Well, and what's so crazy about that is the, like the, the actual stuff about the ship is so well-researched. Like, you know what I was saying earlier that I, it was the last movie I remember seeing with my dad. And he's like, he was an engineer and he was like upset and he was saying on the way to the theater, oh, they're never going to get the stuff about the ship right. 
It and got it right was, down to the constellations in the sky. Right. But it, like the way the ship broke yeah. apart. He was so fascinated by all that. He's like, it was so accurate and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I just never would have processed the movie that way because I'm not an engineer. I don't care about stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so it's like the fact that so much of it was so well-researched well and then the painting stuff, it's like, what? <laughs> well, you know, my, my boyfriend was watching the first half of it with me and he hadn't seen it in forever. And he's like, this is so corny. And I'm like, yeah, but that's why it's good. Or at yeah. least, you know, like James Cameron has the fucking courage of his convictions when it's when it comes to being corny. You know, I will say, like, I'm one of those kids, of course, because Titanic came out when I was a child. I read about the Titanic after a lot of those lines that are very corny about being it it being unsinkable and all of that. That's what people were saying on the ship. So it's not like it was inaccurate. Everybody was just like bragging about it to the point. Some people were like, oh, this is kind of cursed. Yeah, I mean, you can you can say what you will about like his scripting as far as just like the lines or whatever, although he's given us so many iconic ones over the course of his career. But he is an incredible he's incredible when it comes to story structure, like the structure of Titanic is unbeatable. And he's also so good at seeding things that are going to pay off later, just even down to when uh, DiCaprio was trying to talk uh, Rose off of, you know, jumping into the water. DiCaprio starts to give like a little bit of like a, if you did jump in the water, it would be this cold and here's exactly what would happen to you. And of course, in the moment, you're like, he's trying to dissuade her from doing this. But what it's also cleverly doing is giving you all the information you know to like need to know what happens in the third act of the movie and what that experience must be like. He's so good in, in the way that um, a lot of those technicians of the time, like Zemeckis, Spielberg, etc., in giving you um like actual geography of the place to understand later when everything goes haywire exactly how it's going haywire where everything is relative to one another yeah i mean you know he he builds a good ship metaphorically and literally i want to say also that you i think you're right about the triteness about the beginning of the movie but i think something a a, a surprise of the film is how that ends up going away. And I think largely it's because it becomes less about Rose's family, which is where most of the trite dialogue occurs. You know, like I feel like there's a scene with uh, Rose's mom where they're sitting in a room talking about colors or something mm-hmm. like you know, unimportant the women of business. Her bridesmaids yeah. gowns. Yeah. Yes. Um, and as the movie goes on and the, you know, the disaster takes hold, like the, all these other stories unfold, like how it pans away to like all these other rooms and all these other lives on the ship. That to me is the real unexpected pleasure of this movie, how it gets the grandeur of the tragedy in perspective. And then the satisfaction of going to see, Oh, those are real people. He's panning away to like the stories yeah. of people who've actually passed away and stuff. So and I don't know. Even, yeah, that all pays off. Like that shot of the couple, that famous shot of the yes. couple, like mm-hmm. drowning together. I mean, just yeah. It's, do you it's, think? Do you think Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio ever get together and they're like, "Remember when we were in a movie with Billy Zane?" <laughs> <laughs> Billy Zane is very hot in this movie, y'all. He's I know always he's a bad hot. guy, but Dead especially Kong. this movie, it it works. Oh, remember but like when Tilda's with Tilda Swinton in Orlando? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but again, like talk about the courage of the convictions. Billy Zane is a cornball to the fucking max, yeah. but so good. I would at say doing bad. it. I, I literally <laughs> sometimes can't even look at him. Like honestly, <laughs> it's it's, it's a exactly... showgirls level oomph, if you will. Oh, yeah. I do love showgirls. Without the Gina Garcia awareness, 
without the- yeah i disagree i think he's giving gina gershon in this movie like he knows okay. exactly what he's going to play what he's been called upon to do and he's you know playing it to the fucking was, hill though? do you know What's who that? was almost cast in this instead? in the billy zane role yeah no who matthew mcconaughey wait really and rob Isn't lowe really wanted it as well I- and they went with billy zane Rob Lowe, I could have seen. I, I do know, wasn't it Ethan Hawke and Gwyneth Paltrow who were almost cast as the leads? Wow. Almost, yeah. Yeah. That would have been interesting. Wow. Now, but if you could take it back, would you give Gloria Stewart's nomination to Kathy Bates, who I think gives among the most Shelley Winters performances of her career in this movie? <laughs> I mean, I'm always going to vote for Kathy Bates. I love her. I, I would give Gloria Stewart's nomination to Billy Zane. No okay. <laughs> <laughs> Play actress Billy. No, Bird. if I if I had to give away, um, if I had to keep the nomination within Titanic, it would be Victor Garber. Oh yes. I don't know that accent. It really threw me yesterday. <laughs> I yeah, Victor Garber is very touching in a small role. The small yeah. roles are really well cast. David Warner is great too. Mm-hmm. Did you um, guys re- so good? Did you guys remember? Because I did not remember this. That Gloria Stewart won SAG. Yeah, she was tied. considered the front runner. Yeah, was, she, um, people were surprised that Kim won. I mean, she she tied with Kim Basinger. I mean, she, she yeah. won, but so did Kim Basinger. It's sad. But yeah, and that didn't Kim been... get the globe? I Kim got the did. globe, yeah. 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 But but I did a little research for this, and they all five of them won at least one thing. So that's fun. Oh, that's interesting. What did Julianne get? Julianne won uh, National Society of Film Critics and Los Angeles Film Critics. Yeah. And I know Joan got Critics' Choice because that delighted me to learn. Yeah, jo- Joan got Critics' Choice and the New York Film Critics. Yeah. And Minnie got the London Film Critics. We will take what we can get. And, uh, oh, and yeah, and that's all of them because, of course, Kim, you know, wrapped up the prizes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't remember Gloria Stewart giving a speech, though. That I'll have to look up. Yeah, I don't remember that either. Maybe she wasn't there. Maybe that's why I've forgotten that she... That does sound like her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So uh, we need to wrap up. So you have to give one of the performances to one of the other nominees. Just move people around casting-wise. What would be interesting to you? Oh, Joan Cusack in Titanic. I want to see that. I would say my answer would be Minnie Driver in Titanic. I think she could have done it. (laughs) And, And what, Kate Winslet's part? Yeah, totally. Oh, I mean, it's well, like I it's, see it's Joan sort of as Gloria Stewart in Titanic. I want to see the. Oh wait, I guess I, I guess Kate's another category. I'm messing up now. Um, uh, Kyle Julian Moore and LA Confidential. Ooh, love it. Ooh. There, okay, that unfortunately has you know to be mine also. That. That's the actual that good answer. I was about to say, imagine Julianne Moore not nailing anything, and then I remember she was fired from Can You Ever Forgive Me? So it didn't. It happened once. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's okay. It all turned out the way it should have. I want to put Joan Cusack in one of these movies, but like, where would she fit? I, I was thinking Joan Cusack in Boogie Nights. She'd be uh, very good. Like, honestly, not even necessarily as the Julianne role, but when you think of John C. Riley, Don Cheadle, the way they're playing, you can absolutely see Joan Cusack like she being folded into first. that. Yeah, and Joan Cusack, people don't give her enough credit. I mean, obviously she's a brilliant comedian, but 
like she has there's a lot of dramatic undertoes in her performance like mm-hmm. like her shameless her emmy winning role in shameless she's amazing in that in that series oh, she's so good in that show uh my, my friend made me watch rudnick. arlington role arlington road she's great at. Yes. in in the paul rudnick interview i was reading he said you know i'm sure joan could play any tragic heroine if she wanted to although i'd kill her <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so as we're going, uh, tell uh, listeners where they can find you, and I want you to recommend something from 97 or, or even a supporting actress that you also loved, if, if you don't want to do a movie. Okay, uh, thanks again to Chels from Cinema Gals. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for the, your last-minute cramming of all these movies. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. I've been a little chaotic demon. And you can find me, Chell725 on Twitter. That's where I'm most wild. And then I have Untitled Cinema Gals um, and Community Rewatch Podcasts, where we're moving all of our Drag Race rewatch and just becoming that. So I, we're about to wrap up whatever this all-star season was. I have to go watch it soon, even though I know what happens. But a film I want to recommend is my favorite film of 97, Eve's Bayou. Talk of about course. a film that should have just, like, across the board been nominated for everything like throw a dart find a supporting actress you've got so many there debbie morgan i love debbie morgan saw and all my children as a youth oh my goodness adore her yeah and the kyle buchanan and i forgot to ask you a question that i'd written down in my notes of the five movies we just watched mm-hmm. which one would you most like to read an oral history on since your book on mad max Fury Boogie Nights. well <laughs> honestly honestly boogie nights or titanic um you know, th- those are both such, uh, I mean, Titanic is uh, in the mode of Fury Road for sure. And, yeah. you know, a troubled production that turned out, you know, an incredible movie that, that gripped everyone. Uh, and certainly everybody being spiked on LSD would be a whole I was say, chapter. Get down to the... um, but Boogie Nights, too, just because of like the sheer variety of people who were in it. It's an incredible ensemble. The fact that Philip Seymour Hoffman doesn't even come into it until like, you know, so late. And then Thomas Jane later, it's just, you'd want to hear from everybody or, or hear about everybody. And it's just always boggling to me that Bert and Mark Wahlberg do such great work and yet saw the movie and practically disavowed it, you know? Yeah. And I, that Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to play Dirk Diggler or was at least the first choice, mm-hmm. you know, He's and ended up doing busy. Titanic instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but yes, uh, you can find me on Kyle Buchanan uh, on Twitter um, or uh, read me in the New York Times or or pick up my book, uh, Blood, Sweat and Chrome, The Wild and True Story of Mad Max Fury Road. And oh, uh, from 1997, uh, the nomination that I would have loved to see is Rupert Everett in My Best Friend's Wedding. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, a supporting and, you know, cast I mean, for they the They got gods. Joan Cusack right, but they did not get Rupert in there. I was going to say Cameron Diaz. That's a perfect film. She's yeah, great in that too. Carrie really Preston. Is. Who else? Uh, <sighs> Rachel Griffiths. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just one banger after another in that movie. Um, Louis Fertel, thank you. Uh, I had a blast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lewis Fertel. I'm going to keep tweeting until I get it right. It's been like 13 <laughs> years. Uh, I also, I'm a writer on Jimmy Kimmel Live. I occasionally do monologues during the monologue. Uh, and I have a podcast called Keep It on Crooked Media. And in terms of 1997, I think a movie people forget about that paired two of my favorite movie stars of all time is Oscar and Lucinda, which is yeah. Ray Fiennes and Kate Blanchett. Uh, 
I just feel like that's sort of a loss with, with the exception of things like Titanic. It's a lost prestige era in a lot of ways. We just have forgotten a lot of movies from that time. Go and revisit that one. Jillian Armstrong. Also just hot people with chemistry. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Honestly, rewatching these movies, I just kept being like, hot, hot, hot. Everyone <laughs> looks good. Everyone's sexy. They're yeah. lit so well. I mean, Matt Let Damon has never looked better. a little bit. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I missed that. I miss everyone looking hot. Yeah. It was, a, it was a good era for hotness. Um, my 97 shout out, I'm Nathaniel, I host this SmackDown podcast, is um, Anne Hage, um, who had an amazing Love career. Anne Johnny Love Bravo Anne and Wag the Dog. She's great in both. Um, she did not get any... Well, she won the NBR. She won the National Board of Review as a combo of those two movies. But otherwise, she did not factor in. But I always feel like she was underrated as an actor due to personal life situations. But she was amazing that year in particular. She just she has still like she has her has, daytime Emmy. And she she um, just has like the drama and urgency of an actress from the seventies, but she like is a nineties person. If she feels yeah. like a step out of time or something. Yeah. Put and her we in love steps out of time in this podcast, of course. Um, since we're always looking looking back and revisiting and reliving, and it's it's sometimes really amazing how things age and how they don't. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Kyle, Lewis, and Chelsea.